Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. As you all know, this is me, this is Tom. And Show and Tell is the show where we like to bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they are working on. Today's cool guest is Ian Sharp, and we're going to be talking about When the Wolf Comes. It is a new RPG set in the universe of the Vikingverse, and we're going to get into all this cool stuff here with Ian. So, Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Excited to talk all things Norse. Okay, so it's interesting too. I, I meant to tell you this before we started rolling. So you sent us an email, okay, because you were told to contact us by Rob and his team. All right, Rob Schwab, and we're going to get into why Rob's connected to this. But so those emails, they go to Michael and Michael filters them to me. All right, for whatever reason, I missed his email all right to me to say hey interview this person so but so then your kickstarter launches and then somebody in our discord says oh have you all looked at this game it looks sweet and then i comment yeah this game looks awesome i i should see if they want to do an interview and then michael responds in our discord discord tom i sent you an email about interviewing ian already i was like oh my word so it was just funny so that's good, and uh, but, but persistence pays off because I think I emailed you again. Okay, gotcha. Um, and said, uh, "Why are you ignoring okay, me?" Okay, gotcha. Well, I didn't get that um, one, but we're, no, but sure, sure, we're here now, we, and that's the main. That's thing. the main thing. It's like uh, it's like fate. It's like the norms have woven us together. Yes, absolutely. So it's funny because I, I, there's a lot of I would like Viking stuff is one thing that I like. I was telling you, I listed a lot of listed a lot of power metal. And so I get all this Viking imagery and this text and these, these old poems and everything, but I don't understand any of it or what it truly means. So I'm interested to talk to you about this, but before we get diving too deep into this, who is Ian Sharp? Uh, who is Ian Sharp indeed? So, um, I am, uh, a, well, I'm, I'm approaching 50 uh, coming up next year. I live in uh, Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, I'm originally British and we moved out here a, a long time ago to work for Electronic Arts. So I've spent a lot of my career in video games. Um, and this uh, move into RPGs is on the back of a couple of novels that I published, um, The All Father Paradox and Loki's Wager. Uh, we also published a uh, Old Norse phrase book, Old Norse for Modern Times, which has got all kinds of fascinating phrases in it, uh, should you wish to go into your local supermarket and uh, and speak to them in Old Norse. Um, and uh, and on the back of that, and a, and a comic series called The Jotun War that we did successfully kickstart, um, we all sat down and decided uh, that the next logical step um, or at least the most fun step would be to launch an RPG. I've been, uh, from my sins, a, a dungeon master to various groups, um, stretching back uh, 35 years in, in some shape or form. And so it was something that I always had a hankering to do, had, had a passion for. And the, the world that I built in the novels um, has enabled me to translate that into a a whole new, hopefully, interesting idea. Okay, yes. Okay, so hold on. We got video games, we got novels, we got comic books, and now RPGs. You just wanted to do, like, every, like, intersection of, like, nerd media 
that you could do, <laughs> right? Yeah, and my family is aghast uh, at how I keep uh, dabbling with all of these things. Yeah, look, it's interesting. I had, I started off age 12 playing tabletop role-playing games, D&D, Warhammer Fantasy role-play. I had lots of miniatures um, and uh, you know, sat there for hours painting them. Um, and I've, and despite the fact that I moved into the corporate world and was, you know, working for EA and Atari and, and, and involved in business development, I never lost that, uh, that, that kind of searching, that quest to do something creative yeah. as opposed to just spreadsheets and deals. Okay. And so, yeah, I suppose I've been scratching a, an itch. The interesting thing is, I mean, I really did start with the novels, um, and sat down to write those and at that point an rpg wasn't on the the radar the comic came naturally because it's actually if you've been if you worked in tv and i should mention i've worked in tv as as well bit of a dilettante right? you know i'm i'm a master of uh, jack of all trades and master yeah, of yeah. none okay a little bit a little bit of everything then so i gotta ask you then so you've been playing rp you played rpgs uh, when you were younger. So are you playing anything right now? Yes. So um, just before the pandemic, um, we were in Seattle and I went to see a buddy of mine, Eugene Evans, who's at Wizards of the Coast. And I took the kids and we were, we'd been to see a Rolling Stones concert. And on the way out, we stopped before getting the ferry, we stopped in at Wizards and Eugene gave us the, the, the essentials kit. Uh, and the kids devoured it on the way home. On the ferry home, they just sat there and just, and you you couldn't talk to them, right? They just wanted. yeah. So they were they were they were uh, I don't know nine and twelve at the time, and they're you know this was three years ago. So for over the past three years, I've been DMing uh, fifth edition for them, uh, a group of what were ten year olds who are now twelve thirteen year olds, and a group of twelve year olds who are now fifteen year olds, and um, and so that's a weekly endeavor. It, it, it started off as kind of monthly round the table, old style. And then when the pandemic hit, it was a kind of saving grace for us all. Uh, you know, the poor kids who, were, who were, weren't able to go to school or see each other. Um, so we started jumping on Roll20 and, uh, and Discord and doing the games there uh, and, and running it weekly. And so most recently we, we did Curse of Strahd. I love that. Um, I love that campaign. I, <laughs> and we got everyone was so into it that um, you know we did the we did the famous dinner uh, uh, in person. Okay, I I dressed up as Strad and all the thirteen year olds pretty much had their first ever dinner party with a vampire. Oh, that's awesome. Right? It's not it's not like they all uh, sit there with with silverware and goblets of grape juice every uh, every weekend. But there was you know there was all eight of them. And me at the table, and the parents uh, dressed up as the the various servants and and thralls and spawn, and they delivered the uh, the the food to the table, and it was uh, yeah a, a, a good two hour three hour dinner party, and that I suppose goes to you know my my acting skills, being able to sustain a dinner party with thirteen year olds for three hours and keep it entertaining was. Uh, was the, the, the pinnacle of my career today. <laughs> everything you've done, everything you've done, that was the peak. And now, now we got a, now we got an RPG though. Okay, so what's the what's the elevator pitch for 
when the wolf comes. So the simple tagline that we use is that uh, when the wolf comes is a game set in a reimagined Ragnarok. Um, so the Viking verse itself is a parallel timeline where the Norse rule the sea and the stars with restless fleets uh, and then they have put Christianity to uh, the Viking sword. So uh, it, the, the Viking verse tells this story of a pagan present. Uh, there's over, you know, sci-fi overtones as part of it because obviously divergent timelines, uh, things aren't exactly the same. Um, and that's partly predicated on the fact that uh, you know, over the, the medieval period, uh, the Christians burnt some critical thinkers who might have survived in a, in a, in a pagan timeline um, and advanced things slightly differently. So when the wolf comes is set in uh, Ragnarok. Ragnarok, as we know, is the, is the twilight, the doom of the gods where uh, they face their inevitable end in you know, Odin in the moor of the Fenrir wolf. Um, there's a there's an inescapable fate element to it, and that's pretty much part of uh, the RPG as well. You the the player characters are going to have to struggle against their preordained fates and see whether they can uh, uh, survive and perhaps rebuild the world in the same way as the Norse mythology and the uh, key critical text of Voluspa or the prophecy of the seeress, talks about the rebirth of uh, some of the Norse gods after the fall of Odin, Thor, Balder, Loki, and Heimdall. Interesting. So then this would be set. So uh, so this is, this is futuristic then. It's this blending of, like, I look at your, because as of recording right now, it's on... It's on Kickstarter, so we get to see a bunch of I get to see a bunch of cool art, and I see you know people in armor, but then there's also guns and spaceships. So it's it's wild. So my question then is: so Ragnarok to me, somebody who doesn't necessarily know my my uh, knowledge of Norse mythology comes from reading Thor comic books and watching the Thor movies and all these other pop sure. culture references. But Ragnarok to me end of the world so the vikings they have their civilization has advanced gone to the stars and ragnarok hasn't come until now right exactly and that i'm going to ask you to bear with me a second while we discuss temporal paradox are you familiar with the grandfather paradox no i want to know though okay the grandfather paradox is sometimes with you know, similar to or in the popular imagination as the let's go back in time and kill him. Yes. Right. Is is let's go back in time and get rid of someone really bad and you know, and then what happens? Um, will we avoid World War Two? Now in the grandfather paradox, say you go back in time and you kill your grandfather because you've decided he wasn't a great dude. The problem is then is that you can't be born. So then how on earth do you go back? and kill your grandfather. And so what it does is creates this paradox. It creates this, um, if you're familiar with more Marvel properties, the kind of what-if multiverse, there's branching timelines. Now, that's one Marvel's interpretation is one uh, 
solution to the grandfather paradox. It creates a uh, an alternate timeline, many alternate timelines potentially. It's also something that's covered in the Umbrella Academy, the most recent series actually. They, uh, they describe this uh, phenomenon. However, there is another um, solution that's been advanced by physicists, which is it doesn't necessarily just create these infinite universes, it creates just two. And those two loop together a bit like a DNA coil. They twist and turn and they're entangled. So you've got entangled histories that stick together. And so that's the premise of the Viking verse, that there is our universe, the Christian universe, and then there is the Viking verse. And what's the difference? Well, the difference is Odin. So Odin knows full well in the Norse mythology uh, you know, sagas, he knows full well that he's going to get eaten by the wolf. He knows that come Ragnarok, that's his fate. And that's the title, actually, of the where the title comes from. There's a, uh, a phrase that's from one of the Norse texts. Um, and Odin says to the person who's interrogating him, he says, they will seem too few when the wolf comes. Because Odin spent all of his history gathering people into Valhalla. But they will seem too few when the wolf comes. All these men that he gets together will still have no impact on the final boss fight with the Fenris wolf. So uh, if you were Odin, put yourself in his shoes, you knew this uh, was on the horizon, um, you might try something else. Now, being a wily old sorcerer, my premise was that, well, Odin decided to tamper with the timelines. Odin decided that the real... Um, the real Ragnarok was not necessarily a literal wolf, but the oncoming storm of Christianity that led to him being a minor god now resurrected in Marvel movies, um, but obviously otherwise blended into the kind of myth, lore, myth and folklore uh, and, uh, and you know, scant worshippers. Um, so Odin tweaks the timelines and he creates this Viking verse and so the grandfather paradox I mentioned where you go back in time you kill your grandfather you create this split history the pun of the first novel is that it's the all-father paradox Odin is the all-father in in creating divergent timelines in creating the Viking verse he creates the all-father paradox an entirely new timeline where as I said the Norse rule the sea and the stars that all make sense? That's a little bit of physics. Yeah, no, no, it 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 does, and I think it then gives you the um, the kind of writer's excuse for why everything exists the way it does. It does, um, but I've also tried to be as scientific and plausible as possible. So, if you're know, going through the novels, for example, there's there's points of divergence, points of divergence in. Charlemagne's empire um, and, and around that time around 800 AD that was when uh, the first apostles of the north went into Scandinavian territory and started to convert people to Christianity now um, one of the uh, suggestions is that the great heathen army that invaded where I'm from England in 865 and took over half the country 
cut the country in two and it was you know the dane law was to the north and to the south was was alfred the great and you might have seen some of that on uh things like the last kingdom on netflix mm-hmm. um but that that uh Great heathen army that Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons and their incursions into Europe, that is argued by some academics to be a direct, um, a direct result of uh, Charlemagne and his Christianization of the North. They came out. The Vikings came out like wasps from a nest, storming Europe in uh, anger that the old gods were being uh, were, were being taken over by the white christ and so um i i I start very much in the history um and then play with it and all the way through try and give um plausible scientific uh advances um and accelerations of our own timeline by odin playing around with it so i'll give you one little example and then um i'll let you get a question in edgeways um the for example, when it gets to about 1250, which is traditionally when the Mongol hordes swept over Europe, I like the idea of um, how the Mongols would, would fight the Vikings. Now, in our history, there's at least a 300-year gap um, between that eventuality, so they would never meet. But one of the facts of our history is that the Vikings actually set up uh, the Kievan Rus, uh, all, all around where the war is happening today between Russia and and uh, Kiev uh, and the Ukrainians. Um, it was originally a Scandinavian state, or at least ruled by Scandinavians um, uh, and their nobility. Lots of interactions. So if you posit that they never, the Scandinavians never gave up their hold on Kiev, and it remained part of a Norse superstate, so to speak, um, a, a Norse northern empire, then you can get to the stage where uh, it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination that the Norse do fight the Mongols. And then you have shield wall versus horse archer. And uh, I love that uh, idea. I wrote a lot about that um, as the background to this When the Wolf Comes RPG because... The Pax Mongolica and the the rise of the Mongols changed our world history. Um, Genghis Khan has done more for uh, spreading his DNA than any other uh, human on the planet. So I, I just love that idea of, of the Vikings coming up against the Mongols and then the repercussions of that on the new timeline, especially when Odin tampers with it a little bit and introduces an element of gunpowder a little bit earlier than uh, our timeline might have it. <laughs> Interesting. So obviously I love the idea of having games that have alternate histories and having elements of our actual world because I feel like it's easier for the players to then play with those elements because it's things that they kind of know already. So, But with all that said, that there's a lot of different ways players can take this. All right, you've got alternate history, you've got space stuff, you've got Viking stuff. So for you, though, you get a group of players to sit down to play to play When the Wolf Comes. All right, what is the feeling that you would hope that you could evoke with this game? What kind of game are they playing? This is a game where 
it's it should be high adventure high octane it should feel like you're on a viking ship and you're sailing into a fierce storm and uh the 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 fates are blasting you with lightning the hail is raining on the deck and it's only your grim courage and determination to face all the odds that is going to eventually turn the tide. And whilst I picked, depicted something there, you know, the spirit of the Viking Age, uh, the Drakkar, the ships that they used to sail across the world, I want to get that in the modern age. And you're right, there are spaceships. Uh, there is a whole reason uh, for the spaceships that uh, is tied to Yggdrasil, the world tree, um, and the, the lore of the game. But I still want to create that idea that you are the crew, uh, the heroic crew of a vessel, um, and that whether you are sailing the seas or the stars, you are facing down forces that are uh, utterly incomprehensible, utterly uh, just, just implacable, but you're going to do it anyway. I, to me, that's like one of my, when I play role-playing games and there's a battle coming forward, I love the feeling of being a character. And even though it, the GM may, you know, it may be a balanced battle, but just the whole idea of like, hey, me and my three companions, we're going up against these 50 people. It's that whole element of like, it's just like, we think about like the the 300, like it's this element of overcoming just gets your blood like pumping and you're ready you to know, go is excitement thermopylae and the 300 and leonidas is you know a great inspiration point you know that those and 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 it's a very famous one because of the uh because of the film um but there are all kinds of counterparts to that in norse mythology you know a guy called uh, olaf Tryggvason who's who was the king of norway and he stands he's the last man uh, overwhelmed by uh, huge hordes of his enemies and rivals. He's fighting with a weapon in each hand on the prow of his boat. And then he just says, I'm done. I can't defeat these, but you're never going to take me in, in full armor. He just plunges into the icy depths and, you know, and that's it. He vanishes from the pages of history. And, but, but, but what a way to go. You, you yeah. take down as many people as you possibly can. And then you say, you're still not going to get me. It's, it's, those kind of moments are just so cool. It's like the, the goosebump giving moments from stories that are just, I love it. So I'm going to jump around a little bit because you started mentioning about some different things that kind of inspired you. So what's, so I know there's so many different stories and histories um, in media, but if you could pick maybe one or two specific histories or stories or media that really inspired your writing on Norse mythology and then specifically when the wolf comes, what would you say one or two of those examples are? So, so I mentioned it before, the, the Voluspa, the prophecy of the Seeress. And if, uh, if you do one thing after listening to this podcast, it's to go and search that up. It's, uh, it's a poem. Um, it's... You can find it easily in English translation, and it tells the story of the Norse gods from creation, 
the Norse universe from creation to demise and rebirth. It tells the it's it's where you find the the original story of Odin succumbing to the wolf. It's where you find the the story of the Norns. It's where you who are the fates of Norse mythology. It's where you see how Thor dies breathing in the poison of the Midgard serpent. It's where you first learn of the of Loki leading the army of giants onto the battlefield. But it's so much more than that. That's the bit that's echoed through eternity. That's the bit that people now have turned into movies and films. It's the bit that people know. But it, it's, it's, the language is, is uh, rich and amazing. Um, the imagery that it conjures, the... the you know, it's it's such a wealth of stuff there, but so scant. Um, also, it's like uh, you have to remember with Norse mythology, people are really uh, sifting through fragments. Most of the stuff that we know comes from very few texts, like this Voluspa, um, and uh, you know, then you layer on your imaginings on top of it because there's not quite the rich cornucopia as exists say in greek mythology um you you know you you have to really uh, sift the rubble for it but the velospa inspired me with its imagery with its tales of the of the sun turning black uh, and the beams of uh, of the sun you know, just just going grey, the fimble winter, the great winter that encompasses man. And that famous phrase, the wolf age, the wind age, uh, where no uh, brother shall, uh, uh, shall, your brother shall fight against brother and no man shall have mercy uh, for one another. Those kind of phrases are so evocative, so powerful. And that was the single most uh, defining inspiration for me in writing both the novels and when the wolf comes i go back to it so many times so i gotta so this is i you you kind of mentioned something the whole idea of that there's original norse text but it's so far and few between and people are always discovering more one of my favorite bands is this band called high lung and they only write like so they their their albums take forever to come out because they only they don't write their own lyrics they are always taking poems and just adapting them so uh it is it hard then to like kind of piece together Norse stories in a whole RPG or is there just a wealth of information that we just don't realize there's certainly a wealth of academic stuff that you don't realise. Um, and there's an awful lot written about uh, the Vikings. The funny thing is about the Vikings is that, is that unlike most civilizations in the Middle Ages, uh, they're written about by other civilizations, about 50 different other civilizations. I won't call them countries because you know nations didn't really exist so much then, but 50 other civilizations write about the Norse and their encounters with them because they were so well-traveled. Um, so you can piece together, not just from the poems that you mentioned, but from the first-hand accounts of people all around the globe, um, as well as the you know, more medieval accounts. But it's, 
you know, in the same way as that you were talking about that band and how they uh, use that source material to inspire them. I'll just give you a, a quick quote, and it's at the top of the Kickstarter page, and it, but it's also a parody of the Voluspa that I mentioned. And I say, I say this, and what I'm doing is taking the actual text of the Voluspa and modernizing it. Um, so I say it is harsh across empire, horde and rife, a gene age, a machine age, mankind is riven, a restless age, a deathless age, before the nine worlds go headlong, no longer is there mercy among what once were men. Now, that is a uh, uh, just a, a retreading of and a modernizing of uh, the Voluspa text because it lends itself so well to instead of saying a wind age, a sword age, you say a gene age, a machine age, because the, the, that's what the, what's the kind of thing that you're playing with here. Um, so, you know, the, the source is a wonderful inspiration, but they're muddy and they're woolly. Uh, but within that, they give you uh, inspiration and a starting point but then room to play. And one more example just on the basis of that is, for example, elves and dwarves. Everyone loves elves yep. and dwarves. They're fantasy staples. In Norse mythology, which is where they come from, they're called Alfar and Dverga, and that's yeah, really where Tolkien drew them from those pages and disseminated them into modern fantasy. But Alfar and Dverga in the original text are barely defined, certainly not in a way that you'd want from any rule book. And they're pretty much the same. They're used interchangeably. Um, there's no notion of uh, dwarves being short or having beards. Uh, they, they were pretty much ancestral death demons. Depending um, on what you have to do to create an RPG in in, uh, uh, in delineating them and giving them uh, modern resonance. Um, but started with that old Norse terminology and with the text and then tried to make it as believable based upon that uh, starting point. That is, yeah. I mean, I can tell just from the, the art that is in the Kickstarter, there is some, there's some crazy different ancestries in here, things to explore. So I want to talk about the, we mentioned Rob Schwab, all right? Yep. Because you have chosen to use to build this game upon the rule set for Shadow of the Demon Lord. All right. So why choose Shadow of the Demon Lord for this rule set? There's two answers to that. Three answers to that. Um, one uh, personal, one mechanical, one again inspirational. So uh, personal, Rob is one of the nicest human beings on planet earth bend over backwards helpful and supportive um so that's simple and we were introduced by a guy called darren pierce and darren has made all kinds of uh, uh games rpgs he's worked on judge dread and strontium dog and doctor who all of those british staples okay. um and he knew rob and he created the introduction um and darren acted as the editor on on this so that's the personal the inspirational is um, I only had to read uh, the the prologue, the introduction that Rob wrote to Shadow of the Demon Lord, which talks about the fact that 5e wasn't really cutting it for him, um, that he was introduced to Warhammer fantasy roleplay, and he loved it. He loved the gritty old world and the, uh, the 
the way that that battle versus chaos is set up in the Games Workshop uh, titles. And that's exactly the same game that I played when I was a kid. And so at age 12, we played D&D. We got bored of the high fantasy and the, you know, the unicorns and the Vancean magic. And we quickly got into the, uh, the gritty reality of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And so reading that, it just struck me that I was on the same page as Rob. Um, and so then mechanically... Because we, you, you think about how you might take the, the races the, that you have, the origins, the ancestries like Alpha and Verga, uh, and how you might best represent them in a game. And one of the things that I think Shadow does, hands uh, down better than anyone else, is that, uh, that path system, the character system, the, the, the multi-classing. Uh, in order to create a truly... Uh, unique and vibrant character uh, that stands out as something that you know you can really fall in love with much more than the almost cardboard 5e uh, races and classes shadow of the demon lord is just just a master class in taking you from the novice path through the expert paths into those master paths and making something that just like, oh, this is just the best character I've ever made. So then I got to, so obviously we kind of are all familiar with the kind of the the classes and the ancestry or races of like fifth edition, especially, you know, you've got your classic elf ranger, you know, or your dwarf cleric. So looking at, looking at your game then, what is an example of one of these ancestries or the paths? Like give us an example of a character that we could make in this game. So let's uh, let's start with one of the races that you know I'm I'm most fond of, and that is the children of the Ironwood, the Jan Vidur. Uh, so, and and I'll be clear that in all of the the game, I do give you the old Norse alternative in case you want to try and do some tongue twisting yes. and 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 the kickstarter actually comes with a, an audio guide for that old norse for modern times book that i published before so if you want to wrestle with this stuff then you're more than welcome to and the funny thing is is that it's not quite as hard as you think it is because english and old norse were kissing cousins as languages right it's only mm-hmm. it's only after the the uh William the Conqueror and the Normans came on with their Latin and French influence, the English evolved along a slightly different path. But, you know, words like knife, skull, uh, stake, all of these are Old Norse words, just, you know, they still exist today. I digress. Um, the point is, is that um, you, if you want to take this, this child of the Ironwood, they are, uh, in Norse mythology, the, the Ironwoodites are the the animals the wolves that are raised by the uh, the ogre shepherds the the witches of the ironwood they are raised uh, to devour the sun and the moon um and they are you know creatures beyond the pale of civilization but in the in the retelling of the viking verse um they're somewhat, they're somewhat similar and somewhat different. They are animals that are given consciousness, 
or rather they're animals whose, whose innate consciousness uh, has been embraced and, and enhanced. And so you can play really as these kind of literal war wolves. Um, and that's what, the, that's what the children of the Ironwood are. They are uh, some kind of lupine or canine uh, creation mixed with uh, Dverg technique. And Dverg technique is the, is the, uh, is, is dwarvish technology. Those, you might have seen it in, in Thor, the, the film where he goes to Nidavellir and he gets the, the, the his weapons crafted yes. by the dwarves. It's a similar kind of thing. The dwarves of my universe, the Dverga, are much more mechanical, but they're able to infuse uh, the animal spirit with their technology and create these sentient wolves. So let's take that as a side point. So that's your origin. You are a, 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 a humanoid a humanoid wolf. And then from there, you know, some of the bits are similar because Rob's done a great job of uh, balancing. So the novice paths are very similar, but instead of being the path of the magician, you, you're the path of the wise. And the reason for that is not just nomenclature, it's, it's the basis of Norse mythology. Norse mythology is full of magic. There's a whole magic system uh, in the game that's based upon Galder and Seder um, and the ways that Norse practitioners of the arts use their spells. Um, but the crucial thing is for the Norse is it wasn't magic, inverted commas. Uh, the most common word in the Norse lexicon for magic is folkingi, which just means great knowledge. The wise were practitioners of you know, spellcraft, but they were holders of great knowledge. They were just people who knew how the universe worked. So the wise are, uh, in some senses, they're magicians. Um, in some sense, in the modern sense, they're really just scientists. They're practitioners of um, you know, the understanding things like quantum physics and how how you can marshal that now clearly it wouldn't be a Norse game if you didn't um, involve some kind of runes in there um, but even runes it's key to remember Odin sacrificed himself for the runes the runes were knowledge the runes runes really just mean secrets um, so unlocking the secrets of the universe was what Odin set out to do in the uh, in the myth um, and so a rune meister uh, or rune maestarli in Old Norse, again, very similar, you'll see, uh, is someone who knows how to unlock the secrets of uh, the universe in the same ways that we tinker with DNA. Um, you know, they tinker with runes in the same ways that we mess around with E equal MC squared and the theory of relativity. Well, you know, they've got their symbology too to change uh, atmospherics or to uh, collide particles and so that's really what we're looking at so you've got the child of the ironwood they take their first steps along the path of the wise they uh, imbue themselves with all of this great knowledge they become a rune master um, and then i've changed the, you know, the 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 master classes into mythic classes and again that's not just um uh you know, a simple repainting. I've done that because when you get to those upper echelons, you are able to do things that are beyond the ken of the normal man. And so 
you know, I like the idea that at that point you really are able to uh, tinker with uh, reality and uh, and and enter the pages of the sagas. And so one of the um, one of the things that the children of the Ironwood were bred for is they were bred to be dogs of war. They were they were created in the last gasps of the Jotun War as a as a wonder weapon. But like many orphan soldiers they're not necessarily bad um they're just misguided or indoctrinated and so some of the mythic classes enable you to tread the path of mythology and you could become you know for example a a greyback and a greyback is one of in myth is one of the uh the creatures that eats at the roots of Yggdrasil in my um viking verse they are much more kind of uh, eco-terrorists out to save the world's tree and defend it from the incursions of mankind. So I've given you a, 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 a smorgasbord there of how one humble wolf child might ascend to the ranks of immortality. Yeah, there's a, I mean, it, it, it feels like this, there's a lot of different things that we could do with it then. So you've got... Um, is this then, I need to ask, this book, obviously there's a camp, there's the rules where we can create these characters, there's this campaign setting where we can play in this world, but then also do you include any sort of stuff for the game master as far as like, are there, is there like a pre-written adventure at all where that we can jump right into this? There is now, because it was okay. one of the early and easy stretch goals to unlock. So that's uh, being written. And, and one of the things that I'd like to do, and I think Rob did this when he released Shadow, uh, Kickstarted Shadow back in 2015, is, is just some collaborative storytelling, getting other people in the community to help write adventures. And so I think that um, we're on to stretch goal three now close to um and stretch goals that we're we'll be posting soon will try and involve other people because there's only so many hours in the day uh, for me to write adventures i would love to have a cadre of fellow norsemen who can create convincing adventures in this uh this pagan present so then okay so then you kind of mentioned the stretch goal so tell us a little bit then about the kickstarter so what Kickstarter is going right now um, as of recording. So how can people support the Kickstarter and what will they get by supporting the Kickstarter? Well, the first thing you get is the, uh, the 250 page rule book, um, the complete system all in one go, a hardcover book. Um, so that's the mainstay. You can get that as a PDF or you can get the, the physical printed thing. Now, there's all kinds of add-ons that we've got, whether it's character sheets, a DM screen, a, a partnership with campaign coins to deliver a turn token, some bespoke dice where if you roll a, a one, uh, you get to see uh, Fenrir eating the sun. Um, yeah, not a good thing, rolling a one. No, no. Um, and uh, so there's there's a whole bunch of that stuff. And then the stretch goals have started to, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I have talked about... Um, the comics and the, uh, the novels. I do want to add in some short stories that help set the scene that explain how the Alpha enter the universe, for example. Um, and that's all to do with uh, Yggdrasil screaming at the end of the world. 
and I'll leave that as a little bit of a teaser. Um, uh, there will be a new comic that describes the origin of the of the universe in the in the Norse world. Um, it's not Adam and Eve; it's Aska and Embla, and mankind is very much born from trees. Uh, Ask means uh, Aska means ash. Embla probably means elm. Um, and so Odin literally fashions humankind from the trunks of trees. Trees uh, are very much part of uh, Norse mythology and part of the Viking verse. So there'll be a comic that describes some of that. Um, and then going forward, yep, more adventures, um, more art, more monsters, more spell cards. And how you can support, well, first of all, um, Look, Kickstarter is uh, is great um, at, at showcasing some things, and certainly if you're a project we love, then you get showcased more. So what yes. we're what we're really asking for now is word of mouth. If okay. you if you are uh, a Viking fan or a sci-fi fan or a Doctor Who fan, or you've understood a word I've said about the grandfather paradox, then uh, tell your tell your Viking buddies tell. Uh, your Norse enthusiasts, tell your saga fans um, and bring them towards the campaign page on uh, When the Wolf Comes and let's see whether we can really create that great heathen army of 865 all over again and um, yeah, overrun some of those 5th edition campaigns that get all of the limelight. <laughs> Yes, I couldn't agree more. So I also, uh, this wasn't on the list, but I did want to ask you this because this is part of, you have this in your Kickstarter. Um, most people know that a lot of Norse mythology has been co-opted by the the right wing and neo-Nazis. And so um, there's this stigma that whenever people think of Vikings, there's this kind of like, oh, is this kind of like that? Is this problematic? Can you talk? Can you talk a little bit about that? How you all are addressing it, or your thoughts on this matter? Yes. So, <clears throat> the fact of the matter is that the uh, the Viking Age happened a thousand years before uh, a group of relatively nasty people um, in the Third Reich decided to use the myth and legend and runes and symbology as propaganda pieces for themselves. They were trying to link themselves pretty much directly to the gods. Now, you've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You've seen yes. Indiana Jones punch Nazis in the face. The reason he's punching Nazis in the face is generally because they're odious uh, people, but also because they're trying to steal relics of the past in order to substantiate and legitimize themselves. And in that case... It's the uh, Ark of the Covenant itself, a great Christian relic. In real life, they actually went after ancient Norse swords um, and you know, dug them out of barrows uh, and you know, tried to get these uh, thousand-year-old artifacts into, uh, into German museums so that they could signify that there was an unbroken link between them and the the blood and triumph of the Vikings. But in doing so, they just perverted all of that history and used it for their own ends. So we don't want anything to do with that. We want to recognise that the Viking Age doesn't need to be co-opted 
by uh, people for their own nefarious purposes, that this was a rich and vibrant civilization that uh, explored the the world that was in North America before, you know, 500 years before Columbus, that left uh, an indelible mark on literature from uh, Beowulf to Tolkien, um, that had a rich oral tradition, that had uh, a gravitas in science, um, and has nothing to do with the right wing. So they can just go away. Yeah. I'm all for seeing um, pieces of uh, Norse pop culture and things like that that are doing some work to help reclaim it and, you know, make this more of a positive thing. So this is cool. Uh, I'm I really, I'm digging this game. I've, I think that also we didn't even mention like how great the art is with this game. Like you're all this cover Pops. So the cover is uh, by my publisher, a guy called uh, Jeremy Moller, and he does all of the covers for, he did the Jotun War, uh, he, you know, he did the, the first two novels, and then the interior art is by a guy, an Argentinian chap called uh, Gare Cutie, um, and coloured by Paul Little, um, and they've been working with me since edition four of the comic, um, uh, Paul's actually been involved in the beginning. We switched um, artists uh, partly due to the pandemic, partly due to the original artist uh, going and deciding to work on June and those comics instead of mine. Uh, no, what, what, hate, just, that. hate it when that happens. Just, why would you? Anyway, uh, uh, Arrakis has obviously got a certain spice to it. Um, yeah. Pun intended. Um, so anyway, uh, Gare has done amazing stuff. And a lot of people talk about how Kirby-esque his stuff is. And um, uh, it has been mentioned routinely. So I'm, I'm proud to work with guys like that who've taken the thoughts from the page and let's face it sometimes they are kind of obscure overly erudite nordic thoughts but they've turned them into uh you know, things that hopefully resonate and you know so it's not a pointy-eared elf who lives in the forest and fires a bow but it is a much more gritty realistic norse alpha and they brought them to life amazingly yes absolutely and then obviously um yeah, no, this is great. Uh, lots of colors that are just popping. I mean, just from the art that's here, it looks like it's a d diverse cast of characters that are mixed in, which is awesome to see. Uh, so I got to then, as we start to close this out then, is there one last thing that you feel like we haven't touched on that you need to tell people about when the wolf comes? One last thing that I haven't talked about when the wolf comes, I think touch upon the magic system because the magic system in shadow of the demon lord is 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 also one of the reasons why people come to it it's not fancy and magic uh it's uh it's elegant in the way that rob has set it up and now in certain expansion packs he's made it uh much more detailed and there's much more choice i've kept it punchy uh, as per the original, and I've kept it authentically Norse. But the crucial thing with the Norse is um, it wasn't just wizards who could do magical things. And incidentally, I'm just going to touch on the etymology of wizard. Wizard is literally wise-ard, wise-hard, 
right? That's the etymology. It comes from those two words and it goes to what I was saying. A wizard is someone who is really wise. And that's, that's, that's why we've got that word today. Um, it comes very much from an old Norse etymology. But magic or, or knowledge isn't just for those guys. The, the, the Norse literature is full of people who, you know, heroes, warriors, who could speak to birds, who could um, shapeshift, who could send forth their spirit. And whereas today we have this common notion of the soul that goes to heaven, the Norse had a much more complicated version that was a multi-part soul. It had their mind, their huger, it had their, their shape, their hammer. It had a kind of fetch, a, a, a guardian spirit called your filger, a bit like in Philip Pullman's uh, uh, books where they call, calls them daemons, right? He had a, so you've got this animal familiar as part of your soul. And then you've got a similar to a guardian angel in Christian uh, myth is, is the uh, haminga, which is the kind of all of your ancestors looking after you. And again, that's part of your soul. Um, and so all of these things are part of a Norse hero and he can access this soul. He can access these spirits that protect him. And even if you're a martial character and not a... Uh, a more traditional um, magic using inverted commas character, then you have the ability to draw on these spirits and come up with supernatural effects. And that was key to me because I think just saying, well, yep, you're a uh, cleric and you're a fighter and you do healing yeah. and you do whacking is not that simple. And I think that blended approach where you get to pull off some... Uh, things that are connected to the spiritual consciousness of the world that is very much part of Norse mythology where you know, animals and trees were imbued with that consciousness and were as uh, real and sentient as, the, as mankind himself. So that's something that I've made sure is part of the rule set. That's yeah. the The whole idea of that I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to paint myself into a box with the character that I'm making. You know, I love that. So that's awesome, listeners. I know we've got a lot of people listening to this who really enjoy the Shadow of the Demon Lord rules. I know that worked for a lot of you all. So definitely go check When the Wolf Comes on Kickstarter now. And then obviously we'll include all those links. But just looking over this, there's just there's just so much cool stuff. Uh, it's a really evocative game. So Ian. Thank you so much for, I'm glad that we were able to connect and that I didn't miss all of the emails and that people on Discord were telling me, Tom, look at this cool game. So anyway. That's great. Well, we got here now and thank you so much for having me on and letting me wax pontifical about everything Norse. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like I could talk for a few more hours with you. I got so many questions, but we have got to go. So, uh, listeners, uh, make sure you go check this out uh, for sure. Ian, where can people find you on uh, social media if you do that? Yeah, no, it's it's all at Vikingverse. You can find me Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Discord, everywhere. It's at Vikingverse. I got there first. I parked my longship and no one else has taken ownership of that name. So at Vikingverse, uh, and then the website, vikingverse.com. 
All right. I love it. Synchronicity. Okay. So, folks, as always, do not forget, uh, this is the RPG Academy. And as we like to say, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.